0: We on okay good. We want to talk this morning a little bit about uh, the uh, topic of missions in a hostile world, Uh, and in case you're not convinced about that, uh, there's three books I'd like to recommend to you. Uh, The first book is called The Next Christendom by Philip Jenkins. He gives more or less a positive image. Of what is happening in our world. And he says that actually, here in the West, Christianity is declining, but Christianity is growing overseas in the global South, and that we can expect that the Christianity of the next 20 years will be more biblical, will be more moral, not maybe in this country, but at least globally around the world. He says that in about 20 years, Well, this is really sensitive. This must be North American. Very sensitive. In 20 years, the average Christian will be black, African, female, and 28 years old. As we look over this audience, well, there's some of you that are still under 28, okay? I don't see any blacks. There's some females. But uh, obviously... The kind of church that we knew, especially at my age, growing up, that kind of a church is disappearing. And uh, so that can be good news, bad news. The other book I'd recommend to you is called The Great Evangelical Recession, Six Factors That Will Crash the American Church. That kind of helps you understand what this book is about. It's kind of negative, and it says that really what we can read about as far as church attendance in the U.S., uh, is probably not correct. Those are probably inflated figures. Uh, We see growing churches, but we know that a lot of those growing churches are made up of people coming from other smaller churches uh, to the larger churches. Uh, We are becoming a hated minority, at least here in this country. Uh, We're no longer respected. And uh, we also are becoming... a uh, many smaller groups. Um, We were just, maybe I better not use that illustration. But there's a lot of different groups that have started for different reasons, usually not based on good doctrinal reasons. Uh, The last book I'd like to recommend to you, Prepare Living Your Life in an Increasingly Hostile Culture, written by John Paul Nyquist, um, a fellow uh, student. Uh, when I was at Trinity. But he basically says we need to prepare ourselves to be able to minister and work in a world that's going to become more and more hostile against Christianity. So what do we do about all this? That's not very good news there, and especially as we go into other countries. Uh, how should we respond? And there's a number of ways we could respond. Pastor, I made a bad mistake. I didn't see when I started. Um, Okay. We can do what a lot of us that are older sometimes do. Remember how it was before? It was so great. Great things were happening. And uh, we complain about how bad things have gotten now. And that may be true, but that probably doesn't help too much. We can just try to isolate ourselves from all that's happening, just kind of circle the wagons and look inward and say, you know, we're okay, let's just try to protect what we've got here. We can just wait till Jesus comes. Uh, That's biblical, but I think we just heard, and I don't know who decided to read that from John 15, but uh, Jesus there says... There's a different model for you. He says, uh, the world is going to hate you because you're my disciples. The world hates me. Obviously, it's going to hate you. But you're not supposed to go away from that world. You're not supposed to try just to protect yourself. You're supposed to go out into that world and bear fruit. So what does that say to us as far as what we do today with missions? And it, of course, applies to uh, uh, how we live right here in this society, but I want to take it and apply uh, to the world of missions. And I want to preface what I'm going to say by uh, truth and advertising. Number one, I'm going to do what I tell my students never to do, and that is to just preach a global message and not narrow in on one passage. We're going to look at the whole book of Daniel and Obviously, we're not going to be able to study uh, each passage in depth. So I don't really like to do that, but for today, we're going to do that. Secondly, a lot of the ideas I'm going to be using this morning are from somebody else. I had a, se- a seminary prophet that said, if you think you're giving some original ideas, probably you're preaching heresy. So uh, <laughs> there's really nothing too original out there. And what I'm going to share with you is what I heard about two months ago. From a pastor in Longmont, Colorado. It's my message. It's not his message. I've just taken some of his ideas. Uh, Tom Havistel, uh one of our former colleagues from Buenos Aires, is on staff there at Calvary Church, and I heard some ideas from which I took, and I'm applying it now to missions. So there you have it. My truth in advertising. But uh, we want to look at this man, Daniel. Uh, where you were in Sunday school. So if you want to turn in your Bibles or turn on your cell phone or look at your iPad, also, those of you that have been affected by the world, um, <laughs> those of us are still spiritual have our Bibles. <laughs> we want to talk about this man, Daniel, who did live in a very hostile world but learned how to look up instead of just looking at all the negative uh, circumstances. Let's do a little review of the life of Daniel and the chronology that I'm using is what I heard from this pastor. Uh, what I've checked out is pretty much the same. There uh, Some speculation here, but it will give us an idea of where Daniel is when we read some of the different passages. He, of course, was born in Israel Uh, in Jerusalem from a high-class family, probably wealthy, 620 B.C. When he's about 15, the Babylonians come and take away a lot of the leadership of Jerusalem. It's not the final fall of Jerusalem, but one of those times. And he is taken off to Babylon where he is given training. It is at the age of 16 when he makes that interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which is very, very interesting, a very young age, and he makes it first intervention in the national government. He's 67 when he has his first vision of the four beasts, which repeats what is in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And then he's about 81 uh, during the time of the famous handwriting on the wall in Belshazzar's uh, party. And when he is thrown in the lion's den, about 81 also, around that same time. I think I have one more here. Yes, 83, his final vision about the future, where he talks about what's going to happen way in, in the future. So that's a little bit about Daniel's life. But what can we learn about this man, Daniel? Uh, young age, taken away to a foreign country, a pagan country, very, very corrupt. Uh, what can we learn from him? Uh, Three acts, three principles that we can learn from this man. First of all, see the light and not the darkness. Daniel lived in a very dark place. We live in a very dark place, and it's getting darker. And I'm sorry, I can't encourage you, even though Mr. Trump won the presidency, it's not going to get better. I'm sorry. It's going to get worse. And our world is getting worse. So what are we going to do about that? Let's look at Daniel chapter 2 first of all. What is happening here? If you were in Sunday school, then you know already. And if you weren't, I'm not going to tell you. You should be in Sunday school. (laughs) No, I won't do that. Chapter 2 talks about Nebuchadnezzar's dream and about the future. And it's basically about four different kingdoms that's going to come to be. And uh, Daniel uh, is asked to come in along with the other magicians uh, and to give an interpretation. Actually, they're gonna, the other magicians don't have the answer. They're all going to be put to death. And at that point, Daniel says, wait a minute, give me some time. I'm going to go and talk to my God, and he will give me the answer. And so he comes back. With the answer, it mentions the fact that all these kingdoms, starting with the head of gold, uh, are kingdoms that will come and go. And after all those kingdoms, there will come another kingdom which will not be destroyed. So this is the verse we want to read, 244. I'm using the NIV. I'm not sure what... Uh, I think that's what you have in your pew Bibles, right? But it looks like it's a little bit different. Mine comes from I don't know what year, so it might be a little bit different. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. Verse 45, this is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. Because in this vision, this rock comes down out of the mountain and destroys the whole statue. And uh, what Daniel emphasizes to Nebuchadnezzar, you are a powerful king. But very soon, your kingdom is going to pass away. There will be another one. That kingdom will disappear. Then there will be another. Then that will disappear and so forth and so on until finally this rock comes down and crushes all the kingdoms. And we can say that sounds as if it might be talking about the Messiah and the New Testament confirms that. It's talking about Christ who will destroy all these other kingdoms and his kingdom will not ever be destroyed. So what can we learn from that? Earthly kingdoms, they come and they go. We heard in Sunday school, our kingdom, uh, the U.S. democracy, about 250 years now. That's not really very long in terms of history. We probably have reached our peak, just like Britain did at the beginning of the 20th century. And we're now maybe going down. Maybe I'm saying things you don't believe or like. But that's what I feel. And uh, so we see these kingdoms coming and going, but there's that one kingdom founded on the rock which never will disappear. And what we want to see from all this is that Daniel is able to back up and see the big picture of what God is doing because history is his story. It's the story of what God sovereignly is doing in the world. And Daniel sees all that. doesn't understand all of that, but he does understand that all these kingdoms will come and go, but there is one who will, which will stay there forever. Do we get that? Do we really get that? Do we really understand that what is around this is just passing? And though we love our country, we love uh, what the U.S. stands for, but this is a passing government. The government of Europe is a passing government. Russia, ISIS, they're all just flying by. And in a hundred years, they won't be here. I don't know about the U.S. government, but if the Lord tarries, do we really understand that the big empire that's going to stay is Christ's kingdom? Do we get the big picture of what God is doing in our world? Scene 2, chapter 7, where Daniel has this vision of the beast. He's now 67 years old. A lot of time has gone by. He's not a young man. Very interesting that most of the book talks about Daniel's life after what we would call retirement when you're on cruise control. You know, Daniel's not like that. Daniel is still very much involved with his culture and, and the world he lives in. And in fact, some of his most dramatic events happen when he's over 80. Put that in your brain and think about it a little bit. Um, Daniel's first vision four terrible beasts, uh, like superheroes in today's world, you no? Know? They represent earthly kingdoms. And if we look at verses 9 and 10, Daniel says, as I looked, thrones were set in place in the ancient of days. Uh, God, Jehovah, took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. So we see this image of God on his throne being worshipped, and perhaps talking about others. uh, I'm not sure if the thousands represent believers, represent angels, but it's a scene in heaven where God is being worshipped. And in that context, it appears a person, verse 13 that appear and then disappear, then you have God, overall powerful, overall supreme, sovereign, the Son of Man who comes into His presence, and He receives authority, power, glory, and all nations worshiping Him. Daniel, as I said before, lived in a very pagan country, Ours is bad, but nothing like Babylon. He lived underneath a dictatorial ruler. Anything he said at any time could mean that he would lose his life. And yet Daniel, in the midst of all that, he understands that there's going to be horrible things in the future. He realizes all that's going to happen. And yet, he also saw that Messiah was coming, his kingdom was coming, and he chose to focus on that. He could have made a decision and said, this is terrible, this is not fair, I should not be here in Babylon, I'm really a smart guy, what in the world am I doing here, how can I get out of this, I need to pray that somehow God delivers us, I need to pray that somehow this government falls and we get another government. None of that. He's focused on the future and what God is going to do. He doesn't get to see any of this, but he believes it's going to happen. And he realizes there's only one permanent kingdom. So we come back again to what we said at the first scene, chapter 3. Chapter 2, excuse me. Uh, What's really permanent? What's really worth putting our lives into? And Daniel says there's only this one permanent kingdom that is worthwhile. Uh, As I said, much darkness in today's world. We obviously are disturbed by what we see happening. Uh, As we see advances, when I came back on the plane this time, I noticed that uh, we don't have stewardesses anymore. We have stewards, and by their mannerisms, I take it they're from a certain group. Uh, That's a whole big change that I've seen just in four years. Those things are real. Uh, But we need to focus on the larger story, focus on what God is doing to build his church around the world. Focus on the light, not on the darkness. Some examples. You may know this already, but we have heard that there are more Muslims that have come to Christ in the last 10, 15 years than all the time previously in history. There's a great moving among the Muslim people, especially in places like Indonesia, but even in the Middle East. A lot of it can't be talked about, but it is happening. What we're more aware of is what's happening in Uruguay. When we first went there, there were 4% evangelical. And in fact, the area where we lived probably was more like 2%. Now, just uh, about uh, 12 years later, 15 years later, uh, we talk about 6%, which is a pretty conservative figure. Uh, The... um, uh, Gallup is the name. Gallup did a poll all over uh, Latin America, a pretty serious uh, study. And they did this in in just about every country. And in Uruguay, when they asked people, what religious background do you identify with most, 10% of them said evangelical. That's a big switch from a country where uh, most people would say they're secular, they're not anything, uh, so, we do see that increasing, at least, interest in, in the gospel. Excuse me. God is also working and stirring up interest in missions in, in Uruguay. It's a small country, only 3 million people, but yet, out of that uh, small group of people, we see now a total of 100 Uruguayans who are serving outside of Uruguay. Uh, we see many of our students who are interested in missions, which we didn't see before. That's a new thing. Uh, we also have seen in the last two or three years in the biblical seminary a new program of bringing in outside uh, speakers, uh, and we see uh, very good attendance for these meetings. This gentleman here we came to one of our first uh, uh, seminars. He's the general director of SIM International. He's a medical doctor from Nigeria. This man is from Argentina and has been involved in missions there in a very large church. And interesting to see these kinds of people being brought in and to see the church in Uruguay responding to uh, those kinds of things. So that is happening in our little world. Uh, we can't speak about other places because we don't know that much about, but we do know about this. And uh, also I'll talk a little bit later about what's happening with Comibam. The question I want to, this is just our first point, the others won't be so long, Uh, but the question I want to leave with you is what do we do about what we see around us? We can decide to just talk about how bad things are or we can focus on what God is doing, not just in our church, but in our country and around the world. That focus is very important because it means we're focusing on what God is doing for His kingdom. And also that we're not focused on the temporal. We're not focused on uh, these kingdoms which are going to pass away. We're focused in on that kingdom which is permanent. Second point, have courage, not fear. Chapter 5, one of the stories that uh, we know well. I'm assuming that most of you uh, know these stories. That's why I'm not going into the, the details, but... We're at the very end of the Babylonian Empire here. And Daniel is now 81 years old. He's uh, basically semi-retired. The enemy, the Medo-Persian army, is just outside the walls. And the king, Belshazzar, to try to pump up uh, enthusiasm for his reign decides to throw a big party. And he invites everybody to this party, lots of drinking, lots of everything, wild party. And he also asks that they bring in the sacred vessels from the temple in Jerusalem. Why does he do that? He wants to show that his God and his power is greater than these other gods that he has defeated. So he's kind of making a mockery of what was sacred to the Jews. So they're in this party and all of a sudden late at night, and if you've been drinking a lot, if you come from a worldly background, you maybe identify with this, all of a sudden and your your head's not too good and you see this handwriting on the wall and you, first of all, you're thinking, am I seeing right? And then secondly, you look at the writing and you don't recognize the writing, so you're a little bit concerned. So they call in the magicians, uh, magicians, not musicians, uh, to interpret what it says and of course they can't. And so then the queen mother, really the grandmother, says, uh, call in Daniel. Daniel has a history of being able to interpret these kinds of things. And so they called Daniel. Let's read in verse 17. The king offers him all kinds of stuff to be able to interpret. And Daniel says, verse 17, 517, Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself, and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. And then he does explain that the kingdom is going to end that night. And verse 22, uh, he says, But you, his son, O Belshazzar, you have not humbled yourself. Uh, You knew all this, but you did not pay attention. And so tonight you're going to die. And that's indeed what happens. Darius buries underneath the city walls, and takes the kingdom. And what we want to see from this is the courage of Daniel as he speaks. Daniel, first of all, does not have an official capacity. He did not have to go and speak to the king. He could have just said, no, I'm sorry, I'm not doing that kind of work anymore. I retired. Uh, He doesn't say that because he is called by God to be his messenger and he speaks the message as God gave it there. It is a message of judgment. It's not an easy message to say to the man who has the life of power, uh, the power of life and death over you. And uh, yet uh, he does say what he has to say. The world is crumbling all around Daniel. Daniel understands that that city is going to fall tonight. He understands that when the other enemy comes in, he's a high official in the government, he can lose his life too. And yet he's not nervous. He gives the truth as God speaks it here. Why? Because Daniel understood from way back who is really in charge. This is a kingdom that's passing away. But his God is in heaven, and his God has the last word, and his life is in the hands of... Of that sovereign God. So he's not afraid. Daniel knows there's turmoil coming. He still speaks a sure word. How do we apply that to today? The there are unique challenges in today's world of missions. It's always been tough to leave the U.S., go to another culture, learn another language, uh, live at a lower standard of living. That's always been kind of tough. But there are unique challenges in today's world that call for ch- courage. <coughs> Number one, Before, when we would go out, oftentimes the governments were more or less uh, positive. Uh, Why? Not that they were positive to the gospel, but they wanted to be in good with the U.S. They didn't want to cause any problems uh, in their relationship with the U.S. government. That's not true anymore. Oftentimes when we go to a country now, it's very, very difficult to get a permanent visa. Visas now in um, Uruguay are only for two years. You come as a religious worker. You get, first of all, a tourist visa. Then you get a a resident visa, but it's only for two years. After those two years, you must leave the country. I'm not sure for how much time before you can come back in. We Fortunately, we came in. Before that, we have permanent visas. Uh, But that kind of thing is happening in a lot of countries now. Uh, Secondly, there is a suspicion... Excuse me? Well, it looks like it's going to get us both. Okay. Uh, if you come from the U.S., there's an immediate suspicion that you're coming from an imperialist country and a little bit doubtful about what is your real motivation. Do you work for the U.S. government or not? Uh, that's something we especially face in Latin America. We also live in a world that's very unstable. Uh, economically, politically, it's not like before that you could say, well, the dollar is there. It's always going to be worth this. The banks are secure. We all know that. We went through that in 2007, 2008, and 9. So everything is up for grabs, you know. You just don't know anymore uh, what you can depend upon. So it takes courage to, to step out. Um, another thing, negative attitudes in the U.S. church, which have changed. It used to be, ah, missionary, great, hero, no more. Uh, Many times now we get the question, well, things are really bad here in the U.S. Why are you going to another country? You need to stay here and help improve things here in the U.S. Or we get, the church is really growing out there, so why do you need to go there? I mean, you need to stay here. So we face that. There's also the big challenge of finding funds. Uh, We have 50 new appointees with our mission. Great people, really talented. Most of those 50 missionaries will not get more than about one church to help them with support. It just isn't there anymore. So they have to get it from individuals. That takes a lot more time. It's a lot more unstable. That's just the reality. And so new... People that are interested in missions look at that and they say, "Mm, I don't know if I really want to do that. And so a lot of people are backing off and saying, no, I think I'll try some other way or not do it at all. It's it's part of the courage thing as we think about missions. The people from Uruguay also face the same thing. Uh, This is a couple that uh, I talked a little bit about in our ministry report. Carolina and Isaac Carolina is from Uruguay, Isaac is from Venezuela they met uh, working in Paraguay uh, with Middle Eastern people uh, they have some support from their churches but not a lot especially Isaac from Venezuela the whole problem of the economy there in their country uh, has not uh, helped so they work about two different jobs they're studying Arabic and they're trying to Uh, reach out to these Middle Eastern families. Not easy, but they believe that they have been called by God for this. They're getting ready to go to the Middle East. They're studying Arabic. Uh, So they're showing the kind of courage that Daniel shows us here, uh, step out in faith and move forward because they believe God is the one who has called them. My time is up. So pray don't panic. (laughs) I'm done. No. In chapter 6, we have the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Let's just whip through this. Daniel, of course, is Persians come in. He's made number one man. That doesn't go down well. Jealousy, power, struggles. Uh, And so they ask the king to make a special edict. Only, people can only ask you for certain things. And, of course, they hope to trap Daniel with this because they can't find anything wrong with him otherwise. Uh, Daniel doesn't pay attention to that. He continues to pray three times a day. And he commends himself to his sovereign God. What happens? Daniel is saved from the lion's then, right? You all know that. Right? Wrong? Move your heads. Are you, okay. No, no, he's still thrown into the lion's den. He is saved in the lion's den, but he doesn't get out of the lion's den. And when he's in the lion's den there, chapter 6, verse 21, he makes the statement, the king comes and says, Are you okay? And he says, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions, the power of God. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. Integrity and God's power. And uh, so what we want to see in this, that prayer helps Daniel to really focus correctly. And he's not just praying to get out of the problem, of the immediate problem. What does this say to us in a hostile world? we have great needs in our world. What should we do about that? Jesus teaches us, great need, don't panic. You need to pray about that. And your loving Heavenly Father will give you what you need. We need more workers and missions. What should we do? Jesus says, you need to pray for more workers. Uh, Paul, in prison, he asked his churches, what should you do? You need to pray for more opportunities that I can speak the gospel. Uh, What do we need to pray for? Open hearts and more workers. And prayer is God's strategy in this hostile world to do things. Uh, Many churches have given up their prayer meeting. I don't know what, and I haven't talked to your pastor, so I'm not trying to say anything about this church, but I would imagine very few are attending the prayer time here because a lot of our churches really don't believe that prayer is all that important anymore. it is what God has given us to affect uh, 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 an effective ministry. I must close here. Let me just... Sorry, that I have to go through this. So how can, what can we do about missions in our hostile world? First of all, I want to encourage you to look at the light and not be focused so much on the darkness. There's a lot of bad things that are happening in our world. There's a lot of bad things out there beyond our borders. Uh, but focus on what God is doing, because God is doing some tremendous things in our world. Number two, have courage and not fear. We do trust in a sovereign God. We don't trust in our own strength. We don't trust in, in our strategy. We need to step out in faith. We need to speak the truth. And we need to rest in God's power like Daniel did when he spoke out to Belshazzar. And finally, we need to pray and not panic. Daniel was looking at the lion's den, but he prays and God does answer. The I want to finish just with the final um, chapter of Daniel, chapter 12. After all the prophecies... Daniel says this in verse 8, 12-8, I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, My Lord, what will be the outcome of all this? And he replied, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. And verse 10 is what we want to look at. Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. As we move out in missions, as you send people out, many will be one to the Lord. Many will come into the church. Not everybody, and the wicked aren't going to really change unless God's spirit moves in their hearts. Daniel was confident in that. A lot of stuff he didn't understand, a lot of things we don't understand. But We move out in faith and follow that vision, and God will be faithful to complete his promise. Can we just pray? Father, we give you thanks for the example of Daniel, give you thanks for this book, and I pray that you would use these few stumbling words to uh, bear truths into our hearts uh, to help us to understand how to be faithful to you in missions in our hostile world. For your glory we ask it. Amen.